Pam Johnson, back on the topic of high-value abdominal CT. And in this part of the talk, we're going to discuss um, when it's appropriate to image a patient, and if so, what is the best imaging modality? And we're going to cover common GI and GU indications as, list here, as listed here. So let's start with abdominal pain, and I've broken it up by quadrant. We already talked about bowel obstruction in the first part of the presentation. The bowel obstruction protocol is CT with IV contrast and no oral contrast if you really have a high suspicion for small bowel obstruction. If they have, let's start with the right upper quadrant pain. And if you're going to order a CT, the protocol is CT with IV contrast because we have a range of potential differential diagnoses, um, liver, biliary, pancreas, bowel. And keep in mind that uh, we occasionally see a patient with a pulmonary infarct or pneumonia presenting with right upper quadrant pain. If the, high, if the clinical suspicion is um, biliary, acute biliary pathology, either cholecystitis or cholelithiasis. Ultrasound is the imaging test of choice. It's very good for stones and for cholecystitis. However, it has low sensitivity for we, um Even in the setting of dilated ducts, we don't see the distal common bile duct very well in many patients. Very important to recognize that 25% of gallstones are not visualized on CT because they are isodense to bile. CT is very helpful and more helpful than, more valuable than ultrasound in cases of complicated cholecystitis. So just to show you CT uh, findings in the setting of cholelithiasis, my collection of calcified stones on the left, and um, a couple of the stones contain gas. That's a normal finding. But you see, those are the visible stones, but 25% of stones are just completely invisible because they are the same density as bile due to the cholesterol composition. So as you see on ultrasound, there's actually a pretty large stone in that gallbladder that we cannot see on the CT. Important to understand that. In the setting of cholelithiasis, the calcified stones in the duct are an easy CT diagnosis as shown on these two images. You can see the stone in the duct. It looks very similar to the stones in the gallbladder. The challenge becomes um, arises when non-calcified stones are in the common duct. And on CT, they're more difficult to definitively identify. The ones that are isodense to bile, we simply cannot see. And in these patients, MRI is the better test. So if you have an ultrasound and you are suspecting a stone in the duct and you can choose a CT or an MR, I'd go with the MR. With respect to cholecystitis, IV contrast, very important because it enables us to evaluate the thickened wall and it enables us to characterize the wall in the setting of gangrenous cholecystitis. It also elucidates hyperemia in the adjacent liver in the setting of acute inf gallbladder inflammation. It's very important for uh, these the complicated cases like the gangrenous cholecystitis um, and it's really CT is very helpful for showing emphysematous cholecystitis with the air in the wall and hemorrhagic cholecystitis which is a rare variant that has higher morbidity and mortality. If a patient has right upper quadrant pain, labs and clinical information are very important in helping you select the best imaging modality and the best CT protocol if CT is the imaging test of choice. So keep in mind, CT is of no value in the setting of acute hepatitis. CT misses gall a small percentage of gallstones. And if a patient has pyuria, they should not be undergoing a non-contrast CT for flank pain and hematuria. So please be sure that you check the urinalysis. A non-contrast CT not helpful in patients with pyelonephritis. It's important for us to have as much information as possible to determine whether we do one or two scans, whether we do arterial and venous or just venous phase. And I'll show you why. 
a single venous phase is, is all we need for pyelonephritis, duodenitis, perforated duodenal ulcer. But if, if there's a possibility of a pseudoaneurysm in the setting of pancreatitis or a periampulary tumor or a tumor that's bleeding, then we need to do arterial and venous phase. And here we always look into EPIC and look at as much. Our technologists are amazing. They look and see uh, the details of the presentation to be sure that we protocol this properly. But um, you may be the one who's making that decision. So it's important that you order the correct protocol. Um, Right lower quadrant pain, always the first uh, diagnosis that comes to mind, appendicitis. But there are a lot of other causes that we see as imagers, including commonly enterocolitis. Um, we see diverticulitis of the, of the cecum. And even we've seen more and more Meckel's diverticulitis maybe now because of the resolution and because we're, we're cognizant of the imaging findings. Very important to recognize that if you suspect ovarian pathology, CT is not a very good test. Ovarian pathology should be imaged by ultrasound, and if ultrasound is not adequate, MRI is the test of choice. For appendicitis, ultrasound is the first, image, the first line imaging test in children, adolescents, and pregnant patients. CT is, is really better for adults, and we really need to be giving these patients IV contrast, even more than oral contrast. Oral contrast doesn't usually reach the, uh, the cecum by the time you image the patient. There's new, there are new treatment algorithms with some patients being given IV antibiotics rather than going to surgery if they have mild appendicitis. And if they have a perforation, then they, they usually get a percutaneous drain and IV antibiotics and then may undergo appendectomy at a later time. So it's very important that the radiologist not only makes the diagnosis, but also um, describes the, any of the complications in detail to help guide the appropriate management. If a patient has left upper quadrant pain, and we were thinking of uh, any of these potential diagnoses, again, the, the test of choice is CT with IV contrast. And as shown in this example of a young man with left upper quadrant pain due to spontaneous splenic rupture from mononucleosis, CT with IV contrast makes the diagnosis showing hemoperitoneum and heterogeneous spleen enhancement. The alternative diagnoses are also well demonstrated by CT with IV contrast, as shown in these two cases of jejunal diverticulitis, another cause of left-sided abdominal pain. Left lower quadrant pain, again, the what is the protocol? CT with IV contrast, and regardless of whether it's any of these different potential diagnoses, the same caveat holds that I mentioned in right lower quadrant pain, that ovarian pathology best evaluated by ultrasound followed by MRI. Diverticulitis, common reason that patients are imaged with CT. IV contrast, very important. Oral contrast takes so long to reach the colon that it's not even going to be in the rectum, and we don't want to make the patient sit there for four hours while we wait. So we generally use CT with IV contrast, and we're able to make all of the diagnoses, all of the complications associated with diverticulitis just by giving IV contrast. So here just shows you a case of perforation. We see small bubbles outside of the lumen of the bowel and stranding in the mesentery seen very well with IV contrast. Here's a patient with perforation into the serosa and an envelope-like abscess surrounding the, um, the wall of the colon necessitating sigmoidectomy. Um, this is a, a diagnosis that absolutely requires IV contrast. We see this maybe once or twice a year. Septic thrombophlebitis, either in the IMV or the SMV, depending on the site of the diverticulitis. And that's a patient that's going to need IV antibiotics and anticoagulation. So we need to give IV contrast to make that diagnosis. And many of these patients go on to develop fistulas to the bladder. And we, um, the IV, in some cases, we may have to do more complicated protocols like CT cystogram if uh, 
to, to make these diagnoses. Alternative diagnoses are also well demonstrated on IV contrast enhanced CT, including self-limited presentations like epiploic appendagitis and different types of colon ischemia. We can even make a suggestion that one type of, um, of colon of colitis is more likely. For example, the image in the middle shows ischemic colitis and the degree of stranding in the mesentery is typical for ischemic colitis and is really not a typical finding that we see with pseudomembranous colitis, which is shown in the, in the case on the right. Um, that's a, a type of colitis that generally has a more pancolonic distribution as well. So we can actually um, try and determine this specific type of colitis by giving IV contrast and, and uh, evaluating with the axial and coronal MPRs. Patients with jaundice. If you suspect that this is biliary, as we said before, ultrasound is the first uh, first-line imaging test, and MR is better than CT for cholelithiasis. If it's patients presenting with painless jaundice, especially of more than three months duration, then the imaging test of choice is a CT with IV contrast. There's no point in doing an ultrasound. You're going to have to do a CT anyhow. So just go straight to CT with IV contrast. It identifies the presence of obstruction and the cause. However, if the laboratory values suggest hepatic parenchymal disease, then liver MRI is the best test to evaluate. MRI is the best test for evaluating liver parenchyma. In patients with pancreatic cancer, they may or may not present with pain. We do a two-phase study, and not only does it enable us to find tumors, determine resectability, it also enables us to distinguish whether the tumor is an adenocarcinoma or a neuroendocrine tumor with a high degree of accuracy. Inflammatory bowel disease. When do you choose CT over MR? Um, this is a pretty complicated slide, but I'm going to make it very simple for you. Basically, an adult who's having severe pain needs to get a CT because an MR is subject to motion artifact. If they can't hold still, you're not going to get a high-quality study. Most uh, Ideally, all children should be imaged with MR because of the concerns about radiation exposure and repeat imaging. If you have an adult who can hold still with sort of moderate pain and cramping, then you can do an MR. And just to show you an example... Here's a patient um, who's got a CT with contrast. You can s nicely see the thickened terminal ileum. The same finding is available on MR, uh, can be elucidated on MR, but if there's a lot of motion artifact, as shown in this image on the right, the di diagnostic accuracy is much lower, and it's a common problem with MR. So keep that in mind. The CT is really helpful for showing us complications of inflammatory bowel disease, fistula, phlegmon, contain perforation. Mesenteric ischemia. Imaging modality of choice, CT with IV contrast, whether it's acute or chronic. We do CT with IV contrast and water. We do arterial and venous phase imaging. If the patient can't get iodinated contrast, MRI, MRA with gadolinium is a great alternative. If the patient can't get any contrast, you can do an MRA, an MRA without gadolinium. They have special, um, special sequences that enable them to, to evaluate the vasculature without gadolinium. And why is IV contrast important? Another example, IV contrast saves lives by showing us clot in the superior mesenteric artery and infarcted bowel. We see that the bowel wall is not enhancing. Another finding, both findings would not be elucidated without IV contrast. Patients who have GI bleeding, this is a special, special scenario where um, 
Upper GI bleeding, obviously, endoscopy is the, is the diagnostic test of choice for diagnosis and treatment. But for lower GI bleeding and a lot of acute lower GI bleeding, many patients are getting CT with IV contrast. So what is the protocol? It's CT with and without IV contrast. This is one of the times when you can perform CT with and without IV contrast because the non-contrast serves as a baseline to to, um, to enable identification of contrast pouring into the lumen uh, from the venous acquisition. Do not order oral contrast because if there's oral contrast in the lumen, then we can't tell if the patient's um, bleeding. And here's an example of a patient who's bleeding on arterial and venous phase. On the arterial phase, we start to see a little bit of contrast pouring into the lumen. It's leaking in and it's basically showing you the bleeding site and it increases from the arterial to venous phase. So again, CT with and without IV contrast, no oral contrast for GI bleeding. Um, moving on to the GU track, we're talking about flank pain, pyelonephritis, and hematuria. The non-contrast CT for flank pain, I am not a fan of this scan. Limited diagnostic information misses all kinds of important GU pathology. Um, it should be reserved for true renal colic and hematuria if you perform it at all. Do not perform it in a patient who may have pyelonephritis, okay? Checking the UA first is critical. And you may see appendicitis or some other pathology, but you're not going to be able to characterize it as well as if you had given IV contrast. Pyelonephritis, imaging is not indicated for acute, uncomplicated pyelonephritis. The, the management algorithm is treatment with antibiotics, and if they don't respond in 72 hours, then they undergo imaging. However, in some patients, imaging may be indicated, and these are the diabetic patients, immunocompromised, patients with recurrent pyelonephritis, history of stone, or any other potential cause for obstruction or prior surgery. They can get a CT in the acute setting. If you are going to order a CT, the protocol is CT with IV contrast. You're going to miss the diagnosis on a non-contrast scan as shown in this case where the defects due to pyelonephritis are only elucidated after IV contrast administration. And do not order with and without. It's not necessary. You see the non-contrast adds no value. Here's the patients who absolutely need a, a CT in the setting of pyelonephritis. Patients with a small abscess, a large abscess, um, you can see the management changes with each of these different findings. The obstructed patient with pyelonephritis needs a nephrostomy tube, and the patient with emphysematous pyelonephritis needs an emergent nephrectomy. Microscopic hematuria. There are scenarios that do not require imaging, okay, as listed here. And then there are risk factors that should increase the, uh, the likelihood of imaging, particularly smokers. Um, if a patient has persistent hematuria and known kidney disease, you begin with ultrasound, and everyone else undergoes CT. Um, the American Urologic Association has its own set of recommendations and advises cystoscopy and CT for all patients over 35 years old with microscopic hematuria, and again, emphasizes the risk factors for transitional cell carcinoma, which um, we see it often in patients who smoke, the others are analgesic abuse and, and different things that are listed here. These patients, you really want to be sure that they undergo imaging to exclude transitional cell. The renal protocol is the one protocol where we, um, where we routinely perform four acquisitions in one setting, and there's a, there are reasons for this. The first is that we need to be able to prove that any kidney lesion is enhancing and is actually a solid tumor as opposed to some kind of a proteinaceous cyst. And you only can make that determination by looking at pre and post contrast. I, additionally, there's been a large amount of um, 
evidence in the literature showing that the enhancement pattern over time is predictive of the histology. These patients do not get a biopsy before they go to surgery. They simply go to surgery or ablation. And so it's our job as radiologists to say, this is either a clear cell variant or a papillary variant. The clear cell variant, as shown in this case, has a higher propensity for metastasis. They may be more likely to do a full nephrectomy as opposed to a partial nephrectomy. Um, and so the enhancement pattern over time provides very important diagnostic information in this setting. For a patient with hematuria that has a transitional cell carcinoma, it's the delayed acquisition that enables us to see this, as shown in the last image. Um, so in my last couple seconds, I just want to mention choosing wisely. Imaging tests are, uh, you know, more than 125 of the recommendations pertain to imaging tests. And if you go to their website and you filter by imaging, you can read all 125. But to make this easier for you, I, I, I read all 125 and pulled out the ones that I thought were most important for internal medicine doctors. You have this in your handout. Read through them on your way home, okay, and, and recognize uh, clinical presents, clinical scenarios where imaging may not be indicated. Here's some good information for you. Here's some great news that the Fleischner guidelines have increased the threshold for following up pulmonary nodules. Um, it's no longer four millimeters, it's now six millimeters. So you don't have to follow those smaller nodules. However, they are recommending shorter duration for multiple nodules, and there are separate recommendations for subsolid and ground glass nodules. So I uh, provided you the link there to read all of their recommendations. And in closing, I hope that I've emphasized to you the importance of IV contrast for, our, for detecting and characterizing pathology um, when you shouldn't be using oral contrast. Uh, the, and you're understanding that we're giving a lot of these patients water when you should be ordering CT with and without, not very often. Adrenal, aortic stent, GU, GI bleeding. And please take the time to look at the ACR appropriateness criteria and choosing wisely recommendations for best practice. Thank you very much.